I forgot to say thank you to everybody who hosted kids last night for the choir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, once again you call us here into your presence to hear your word. Give us ears that are open, hearts that are humble, that we may take your word to heart and walk with you every day by faith. In your name we pray, amen. You know, in in John 3, Nicodemus asks Jesus what seems like a, a very strange question. Jesus has uh, just said to him, truly, truly, and I tell you, when you read your Bibles, whenever you see that, truly, truly, that's a signal from Jesus that what he's about to say is vitally important. He says, truly, truly, I, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here comes the question. Nicodemus asked him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that and I think, what kind of question is that? (laughs) Of course a man can't be born when he is old. Of course a man can't enter a second time into his mother's womb. Is, is, Is Nicodemus ignorant? Is he just being sarcastic? Is he mocking Jesus? Well, then in my reading to get ready for today, I discovered that when this happens in Nicodemus' life, he was about my age. He was 60, they think. So I got to thinking, if, if I was Nicodemus... And Jesus said something like this to me, told me I had to be born again. How would I react? You know, I got to thinking, Nicodemus was an educated man. Jesus calls him here a a title. He calls him a teacher of Israel, which is quite a thing to say. It means he was well-versed in Scripture. He was a Pharisee, which means he's one of the leading lay people of his day. And not only was he a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee on the Council of Seventy. And there were only four Pharisees in Israel who were on the Council of Seventy, the Sanhedrin. And so that means he's one of the four leading Pharisees in Israel. And then comes this man who is less than half, or about half his age, maybe. And he says, ah, you've got it all wrong. You've got to relearn everything. You've got to, you, you've got to start over, Nicodemus. I think I might have been, who do you think you are? Well, then it hit me. I think Nicodemus was struggling with a problem we all struggle with. Self-righteous pride. He was struggling with a, a kind of pride that 
The Bible tells us was common among the Pharisees. I want you to listen to Jesus as he describes the Pharisees. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. See, this is the kind of self-righteous pride that believes you deserve God's favor. This is the kind of self-righteous pride that kind of keeps track of your points. I've been a good man, good woman. I go to church every Sunday. I, I, I tithe to the Lord. I go to Bible class. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm, I'm a good neighbor, an, uh, an honest worker. As if somehow if you add up enough points on the last day, you kind of present your points to God and he gets you into heaven. Well, you were good enough. You can come. It's the kind of Self-righteousness that, maybe this will speak to you, sits in church and thinks, well, I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. I know you do that, right? And they, 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 need, they need to hear this. This is the kind of self-righteousness that builds up by comparing how we are to others. Well, I'm not... I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as her or him. It's, it's the kind of self-righteousness we see at, at work in St. Peter when he um, is bragging that he's more loyal to Jesus than others. He's making comparison. Even if everyone else falls away on account of you, I'll never fall away. How well did that work? Right? Jesus described this kind of pride in a parable that he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You're probably familiar with it. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulteries, or even like this tax collector over here. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That was another kind of Self-righteous pride. Equally as dangerous. This is the pride where you are too self-righteous to forgive yourself. Pastor, that's not pride, that's humility. I'm being hard on myself. I'm I'm punishing myself. Well, folks, I want you to think about, because we all struggle with this. I want you to think about this. When you for, refuse to forgive yourself, you're saying you're stricter than God. You're setting yourself above Him. When you and I refuse to forgive ourselves, we're saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough, that He didn't suffer enough, that we got to complete it, that we've got to somehow add. To what Jesus did. You want a, a good example of what this dangerous pride can do? Judas went out and hanged himself to 
punish himself. That was selfish. It was also self-righteous. That kind of pride is dangerous. In fact, all self-righteous pride is a huge stone separating us from God. Now who who's going to roll this stone away? Or as Nicodemus asked it, how can a man be born when he's old? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? There's a simple answer to that. You can't. I can't. But Jesus can. Don't you think about the words that Jesus said? Truly, truly, unless a man is, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want you to think about the metaphor that Jesus uses. Metaphor of birth. How much did you have to do with you being born. You didn't conceive you. You didn't choose to be born. I don't see you complaining about it. You didn't give birth to you. You didn't give birth to you. You were there. But your mom gave birth to you. You were passive. Right? I don't even realize the scriptures say it's that way with the new birth in Christ. I want you to listen to these words from the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now notice this, who were born not of blood, nor, nor of the will of man, nor of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Think about what Jesus said, the words Jesus uses is you must be born again. Born, to be born again, literally translated, means to be born from above. See, this new birth is something that God accomplishes in you and me. It's a birth that only God can give. And that's what he did. And he did it, you know how? He's made this new birth possible. By coming down from above in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world 
That he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or listen to these words from Galatians chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't that amazing? You know, we have such trouble setting aside our pride, don't we? But not Jesus. He who is in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived the life that we failed to live. Came not to be served, but to serve. He went around doing good. He healed the sick. He cast out the demon. He raised the dead. He he fed the hungry, right? He lived without sin. It wasn't anything that he had done that nailed him to that cross. What nailed him to that cross was our pride. I love this this verse, right? For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He did all of that to make it possible for you and me to have a new beginning. To make it possible for you and me to have a new life. To make it possible for you and me to have a new birth. Not only did he make it possible, but God also made it the new birth happen. By coming down to us in the person of his Holy Spirit. You know, we went to Galatians 4 before, to verses 4 and 5. I want you to listen to verses four and six, six, five and 6 and 7. Right? For God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. See, that explains the next verse in chapter 3 here. When, when Jesus goes on and he, he answers Nicodemus' question with yet a second, truly, truly, in the course of three verses. I mean, that just tells you that this chapter is important. It's an oath that Jesus is taking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. That's how God works the new birth. 
He makes it happen by giving you His Holy Spirit. When you came to faith that day, that's what God did. When you were baptized, when you were washed with water, when you were adopted as God's own child, He gave His Spirit to you. He gave you new birth. And when He renews that, every time you confess your sins and He announces to you that you're forgiven, every time you hear His Word and His promises read and preached to you, every time you come to this altar and you receive His body and blood with the bread and wine, He renews in you that new birth. You remember when you were a kid and you were playing a game and you got it all wrong and you yelled out, I get a do-over! Well, that's what God has given us in this new birth. A lifetime of do-overs. Only here's the thing. Jesus did the do-over for us. And we get his victory. Now, do you want to know, you want to know what this new life looks like? I want to go back to that parable of the Pharisee, right? The guy who was busy patting himself on the back. There's another man in that parable. It's a tax collector. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he'd eat his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man, Jesus said, went down to his house justified rather than the other. See, for that man, God's forgiveness and mercy have rolled away the stone. That's what God's forgiveness and mercy has done for you and for me. God's forgiveness and mercy has opened an unobstructed, unblocked, free pathway straight into the throne room of our Father in heaven. You and I are no longer the child stomping our feet and pouting and grumbling about getting our own way. We're going to talk about that next week. No, you and I, by this new birth, we are the child that sees Daddy come home and comes running out to greet him. We are the child that sees Daddy in the pool because that's what Abba Father means, Daddy. And without any hesitation, with full faith, goes running to the pool, Daddy, and leaps trustingly into their Father's arms. That's what the new birth, the new life, looks like. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.